I don't know about you, but it's uh, super exciting to be here in person. Um, people have been asking me like all week, are you nervous? And I, I don't really feel nervous. I feel like this is just, you know, friends and family gathering together to worship the Lord. Um, I think in two weeks, I'll be nervous when we have our launch. Um, but today, I was really looking forward just to being together in one place. Uh, we haven't been able to do this since Royal Rehab. Um, and so it's really good to kind of be together. It would have been awesome if we got to sing, uh, but next week, right, we get to sing our hearts out. I'm just going to jump into the Word of God today. We're right at the tail end of the book of Nehemiah. Next week is the last week, chapter 13. Uh, Pastor Daniel will share from there. But today we're looking at chapter 11 and 12. Now we've journeyed with Nehemiah and the Jews through 10 chapters until now. Right, chapter 1, we saw Nehemiah, his conviction for the things of God. And then he breaks down and he prays. And then in chapter 2, he goes to you know, speak to the king about you know, building this wall. Uh, but he's immediately confronted by what we called conviction killers, right? things that tried to stop him, but he kept pushing through. Chapter 3, we saw the people of God gather together, right? unified despite their diversity, committed despite the cost. Right? And they start building this wall as like a, a body is meant to work together as one. Right? And for a moment, we glimpsed what is possible when God's people right, are united for one common cause. Chapter 4 to 6, we saw them face opposition. Right? First, the people are facing opposition as you know, um, Sanballat and Tobiah are slandering them. And then we saw in chapter 6, Nehemiah himself is attacked right, as the leader of the people. Right, but despite all this stuff, they complete the wall in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, we saw the exiles begin to return. They return back to uh, Jerusalem and the city of Judah. Chapter 8, they stand before the word as the word is preached. And then chapter 9 to 10 last week, they respond to the word. They repent, right, they confess their sins, and they re recommit again to God. Right, that's where we've been right, through the book of Nehemiah. Um, and today we're looking at chapter 11 to 12. Again, as I said, we're going to finish in chapter 13. And we're right at the tail end and it kind of fe feels like uh, we're done. Right? We're at the end of the book, so obviously we're done with the story. They built the wall, the people are here together, so we're finished. They finally made it. Uh, we, we, we've come to the end of the story. You know, there's a few of us here who are getting married soon. Right? We're right in the thick of, you know, wedding preparation. And maybe you've been married before and maybe you haven't. But, you know, at least for me, I remember when I got to the uh, end of my um, night reception of my wedding day. Right? The emotion that I felt was just, ah, we're done. Right, right. It's finished. Finally, it's over. Right? Because there's a lot of preparation and stress that leads up to the wedding day. Right, you're making a lot of calls, you're comparing a lot of cakes and cars and clothes and other things that start with C, I couldn't figure it out. You know, there's a lot of things that lead up to the wedding day that it feels like when you get there, you're like, oh, finally, we've done it, right? We got married, right? And I've said this before at weddings, uh, but that's not the way it is, right? When you get to the wedding day, you're not finished, you're just starting, right? It's not the end, it's just the beginning. And all of that preparation and stress that led up to that wedding day was really for what comes afterwards, which is the marriage. Right? So we, don't, we shouldn't think that we're, we're now finished. No, we should really think that we're now beginning. Right? It's only the beginning. And that's the same for the Jews in the story. They've done all this preparation. 
They've pushed through a lot of these barriers and they've built the wall and the people are together and they've come around the word and it might feel like finally the mission is done when in reality the mission is just starting. Right now they can begin to do what they're meant to do, which is be God's people in God's place, living out God's purposes in his presence. Right now they can really begin. And that's where we are, in fact. Right, by the providence of God and some good sermon planning, uh, that's where we are right now. You might feel like we, we've made it. That we, we, we've finally finished all the preparation. We're here together. We've bought all the stuff. We've prepared all the stuff. It's over. But no, we are just beginning. And as we launch, we're not reaching the end. We're getting to the start. Now we can begin to be what we're meant to be. Now we can be a church. Now we can begin to make disciples. Now we can begin to evangelize. Now we can begin to be God's people. Right? That is where we are in our journey and that is where they are. It's only the beginning. And as the people of God reach that beginning, there's three things that they commit to as they enter this next chapter. And there are three things that I want to encourage us to commit to as we leave behind our launch phase and we enter into this new chapter of being a church. Right, three things. The first thing that they commit to, see if this works, is they commit the people. Right, they commit themselves again to God. Right, let's read verse 1 to 2. It says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now what's happening here at the start of chapter 11 is they're repopulating Jerusalem. Right? They built the walls, but inside the walls there's not many people there. And so they're bringing people to live in that holy city. I mean, what's the point of having walls around an empty city? Right? And the holy city, uh, Jerusalem, needs to be strong. Any capital city needs to be vibrant. Because that will then influence you know, the rest of the nation. In times of war, the capital city has to be strong so that the surrounding people can come to inside the walls to be protected by a strong city. And in times of peace, right, if the capital city is strong and vibrant, it will lead to trade, it will lead to prosperity and influence. Right? So it's very important, in a practical sense, that Jerusalem is repopulated and that it begins to flourish. And so in order to do this, they cast lots. And they do it in a, in a way that one out of ten people are going into the city. Right, first, the leaders lead by example, by the way. They're like, I'm a leader. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to go. But for the rest of the people, one out of ten is chosen to live in Jerusalem. It's kind of like the lottery, right? Ten percent chance to win. But it's not a powerball lottery where if you win, it's good. This is more like a draft lottery, right? If you know what that is. When they go to war, you, you get chosen to go to do something that is good for the nation, that requires sacrifice, but you, know, you may not really want to do. Even though Jerusalem is the holy city, and you'd think that people would want to live in the holy city, it, it took a lot of sacrifice to go and live there. Right? We read in previous chapters that even though the walls are built, everything inside is pretty broken down still. The housing situation is bad, right? There's a lot of work to get done to make the inside of the city up and running. And not only that, if you're chosen to live in Jerusalem, you're leaving your family, 
your workplace, your friends. You're basically relocating everything to go live in Jerusalem. But in verse 2, it says, The people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. What an interesting way to say it. Willingly offered. On one hand, they're chosen by lot. But on the other hand, it says they willingly offered. And what that means is, when they were chosen out of that lottery, they didn't say, fine, I'll go, and they're kicking and screaming. But they're saying, yes, I'll do it. I'll willingly go. Because this is the Lord's will. This is what's good for God. This is what's good for God's people. I'm going to go. God's people are willingly committing their life, right? Themselves, the people are committing themselves to do what God wants them to do. Right? What is it, God, that you want in this next phase, in this next chapter? As we begin to be a city, your people, I will do that for you. I will willingly submit my life, whatever you want me to do. Up until the completion of the war, there had been a lot of sacrifice. Well, we've talked about this. A lot of cost. A lot of these people had moved to Jerusalem for a while to build the wall. They'd already left their family, some of them. But as they enter this next phase, they don't say, well, I've done my part. We're finished now. Well, I've sacrificed already during the launch phase, so now I'm going to take a step back. Right? Everyone was willing to still continue their commitment for what came next. Right? It's quite astonishing when you see it. So this act of obedience to repopulate Jerusalem is more than just repopulation. It's really recommitment. It's the people surrendering their lives to God. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll live where you want me to live. I'll do what you want me to do for your kingdom, for your glory, for your people. I'm all in for this next phase. It's like that question, if God called you to be a missionary in Africa, you know that question? What would you say? Right? The people of Israel, the Jews, would say yes, I'd go. Right? That's what they're displaying here. They're committing the people themselves to God. It's interesting that it's one out of 10 people. That's 10%. 10% is the Old Testament tithe. Right? And so in the Old Testament, they would tithe you know, what they owned, you know, uh, the, the harvest, the finances that they had. And it was a, an act of surrender to God. Right? God, I trust you, so I give this to you. I commit to you, so I give this to you. And so the fact that they're tithing the people is like a powerful symbolic imagery that the people are saying, we are surrendered to you. Right? As they tithe themselves, God, we commit to you. Right, it's what Romans 12.1 tells us to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We as the church are meant to kind of get on the altar and say, God, I, I am completely here for you. Right, I'm, I'm a living, walking offering for you. Right, that is our call as a church. And that's what they do here. And that's what we need as we move into this next phase. You know, again, we're not finished, we're just starting. It wasn't just to get to this point, it's to get to this point so that we might begin to be a church. And I'm truly, like, really thankful for all that it took to get here. 
But even I don't know the full extent of sacrifice and the, the cost and the tears that it took you to bring us here. And I really am thankful. But as we enter this next chapter for us as a church to do God's work, it requires us to recommit again to whatever God wants us to do now. And maybe we're tired, and I'm sure we are. COVID's getting to us. You just want to have a rest. And, and if you need a rest, take a rest. But nevertheless, the work is not finished. It took a lot of work to build the walls, but maybe it took even more to maintain the city afterwards. And it's the same as the church. There is much more to be done. Between chapter 11, I'm going to skip all the rest of the verses of chapter 11 until chapter 12, which Daniel read. Between chapter 11 and the middle of 12, there's just a long list of names if you look in the Bible. A long list of people like the priests and Levites, leaders, gatekeepers, overseers, singers, valiant men. And this list of people is a list of people who were willing to commit to God for this next phase. It's so encouraging for us. We don't know who they are. But at that point in time, every single one of these people said, yes, I'll do what you want me to do. Whether it's in the city or out of the city. And as we kind of launch, I hope that would be us. You know, that we would be able to look back and say every single one of us were on board as we pushed into that next phase. That our names will be remembered by God. Right, as people that were committed to his cause. I think that would be wonderful. I hope that we can look back at the end of this year or next year or five years' time and say that we were all aligned to the purposes of God because the people were committed to him. The second thing that they commit... I don't think this is working. I'm just pretending to press this, right? Is praise. They commit their praise to God. So after a long list of names in chapter 11 and at the start of chapter 12, we come to verse 27. And this is what it says. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. The people gather together and they, they give God worship. Right, they praise him. In this chapter, singing is mentioned eight times, thanksgiving six times, rejoicing seven times, and musical instruments three times. But right, all of this repetition is trying to emphasize that there's this exuberant, exciting, intense praise that is being lifted up to God. Right, there's loud music and there's singing. Now, any group, you don't have to be Christian or religious, at the end of any project can celebrate. Right? And that's what we would probably do right? at your work, maybe at your school, at the end of the year, you celebrate what has been done or what you've accomplished. But this is different because they're not celebrating themselves. They're celebrating God. Right? And that seems like a small difference, but it's important. All of the joy, all of the singing, where all of the exaltation is directed that way to him. And so what they're doing is first, is they worship. 
As they sing, as they praise, they're worshipping God. They're acknowledging, God, you did this. So we're thanking him, right? Why would you thank if it is not to thank someone and that someone is God? They're looking at the wall being completed, but they're not saying, we did that, wow, look how great we are, but they're thanking God because he used them to accomplish this great work. And as we read on, they do something interesting. Verse 31, it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went south on the wall to the Dungate. Verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And so what he does is he creates these two choirs and they get on the wall and they split up and they go different directions. Right? And they're going to meet in verse 40 at the temple, at the house of God. Right? That's what they're doing. And all along the way, along the walls, they're singing. Right? And they're praising God and they're making music to him. I just want to point out two things here. Back in chapter 4, verse 3, when Sambalat and Tobiah were slandering the Jews, Tobiah said, if a fox went up on that wall, it would crumble. But now in this chapter, as the wall is completed, not a fox, but a great number of people get onto the wall and they're like, yeah! Right? And they're dancing and they're singing and they go across every step along the wall and it stays strong. And they're praising God with their mouths and as they praise him and stomp on that wall, it's like, I don't know, a, a double act of worship by declaring this wall is strong. Right? And all of the, the doubts and the words of the enemy have fallen because God, you are strong and you have done this work. And even we can stand on it and it stands strong. Right? So that's one thing I just want to point out. But the second thing is that I think it would have been so powerful for the people to have celebrated along the very wall that they had built. They could have met somewhere else to have this celebration. But I just imagine as they walked along this wall, that people would have thought, oh, that, that, that's my wall. Or that, that's the part of the wall that I built. And then along somewhere else, someone else would say, hey, that's the part of the wall that I built. I had a hand in that. That's the brick that I laid in this wall. And I think that would have been so powerful for them as they gave thanks. You know, for us as Kingsway, there's much to celebrate. Even now, right? Even we're not at launch, but even now as we, we meet, I feel like it kind of feels like, like we've, we've done most of the hard work. And as we sit here, I just imagine that there's so much joy in the fact that we're in this building, right? How thankful are we that we're here in Hunter's Hill? But I think, you know, even though we're all thankful, that Jenny and the real estate team would be like way more thankful than we are. Because this is a part of the wall that they built, right? And they put in effort and time and dozens of rejections of calls, and now they sit here. And that thanksgiving is to be directed at God. And I, don't, I didn't ask Jenny if I could sh share this story. I'm going to avoid eye contact. But when we were signing the, the uh, when we um, came here for the first time and we talked to the principal and he let us know that we're going to get it for peppercorn rent. Um, and we were just all happy. Uh, Jenny uh, got something in her eye and, you know, tears started to fall out. And it, that makes sense because she had invested so much into this process. You know, as we sing songs and we listen to praise music and we're led into the presence of God, I imagine we're all thankful that we get to be here to listen to music. 
but above everyone else, the praise team, right, would feel that more because this is the brick that they've put into the wall. And I could say this for every team, the Sunday team, as we have a smooth service and we have presiders coming up. Newcomers team, as newcomer stuff, you know, rolling in and we take care of every single newcomer, right, and none of them are lost. <laughs> so he's laughing. The events team, right, as we begin to plug these people in and we get to see them, you know, build these relationships. Growth groups, as we facilitate a space for people to, you know, read the word and pray and encounter a relationship with Jesus Christ. The mission team, as we begin to be outward looking as a church, right, driven for the mission. Design team, as, you know, things look nice and pretty, allow us to enjoy Right, the beauty of God. King's kids, as you know, we as adults with kids get to focus and as the children are taught about Jesus. Finance team, right? Everything here had finance team somehow involved. Legal team, right, when we don't get sued, every time we don't get sued, right, and all the things that help us, you know, prop us up. Central coordination team, right, keeping it all together. I hope I didn't miss anyone out. Right, all of these teams, right? I, I hope whatever ministry you're in, and even if you're not in a ministry, that through your prayers, your, your efforts, your finances, that you might be able to look around and say, right, I had a hand in this. And that you might feel joy, that you might feel excitement, but that then we might return all of that to God in praise. Right? That's what we do. Wow, God, we got this amazing building but it was you. And that invigorates our worship as we direct it to him. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has made happen. I can't help to open my mouth and give him praise. Right, so as they sing, they worship. But as they sing, they do one other thing. I'm pretending to press the button. Oh, is it, is it me? Oh, it's me. Okay, sorry. It didn't work. They witness as they sing. Right, let me read verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. Right, so they purposely end at the house of God because, again, it's all about God. Verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, right? Because God had done it, right? God had built the wall. God is doing something great, so they're filled with joy. It's from God. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The people of God, like, explode in this singing and worship, loud music, unapologetic, unashamed, and it's heard far away. You know, sometimes as Christians, we feel like you know, we should not boast because boasting is prideful. And there is a boasting that is prideful when it's about us. But Christians are called to boast. We're meant to boast in the Lord. We're meant to proclaim what God had done. And that is when worship bleeds into witness. But as these people worship unashamedly, unapologetically, the, the nations begin to hear 
right? They're, they're thanksgiving to God. They get to hear their boasting about God, right? And, and it, it, it touches them. And I think for us as well, it's the same. Our thanksgiving and our joy of what God has done is not just meant to stay within the Christian sphere. We're meant to be able to boast in a way that the unchurched, right, or the dechurched are able to hear it, right? Maybe not noise levels, because we might get complaints, but that they are able to hear our boasting and be drawn to him. Right, for example, when we sing on a Sunday and you know, our friend is there and, and, and you, know, you, you might be a little embarrassed and they might be a little embarrassed, but, but you sing with all your heart right, to God. You're worshipping, but also that bleeds into witness. It, be, it becomes witness as they see you thank God and give him glory. When we share to our non-believing friends what God has done in my life, on one hand, I'm thanking God, I'm boasting about him, but in another way, it's witness, right? because they're hearing about how strong and good God is. Or when we unashamedly tell our friends of the wonderful ways God has worked in this church plant through COVID to launch. Right? And we say, we're going to launch. And in a way, like, you're proud about it. Yeah, I'm a part of a church plan that's just about to open its doors. And yeah, it was hard. But man, we got an amazing location. Everything worked out. And in two weeks, we're, we're, we're meeting together. And I think it's different when you're proud about it. And you're boasting about it. And you're thanking God right, in the presence of these people. And just a little plug. Christmas is two weeks away, our Christmas service. Uh, we have, I think, um, last estimates, 43 people confirmed to come, which is great. Yes. But we have spots for about 200 more people because we can fill 300 in this hall. And I'm not saying we're aiming for 300, um, but it'd be great, right, if we could invite maybe some of our friends in a way that we're proud about what God has done. Because this is really an opportunity to boast about what God has done, and for them to see what God is doing right through Kingsway. So fill out the form. I think we're going to fill it out today. Um, but yeah, let, let's think about that. So as we invite people, we, we I, I, sorry, I invite us to commit our praises to God in worship, but also that it will bleed into witness as we publicly boast about Him. And the third thing the people commit is their possessions. So the people, the wall is built. They're moving on into this next phase to really be the people of God. They're committing themselves as a people. They're committing their praise, right, in worship and witness. And now they commit their possessions. Last week, Daniel talked about how the people said that they will give 30%, right, of what they have to God. And now, here in chapter 12, they follow through on their promise. I'm not saying we have to give 30%, but I'm just saying that they follow through. Verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. They put people over it because obviously things are coming in, right? And they need to take care of it. And the people are giving partly because it's obedience to God in the Old Testament, it's law. Partly because they'd promised, right, in the previous chapter that they're going to give. But also partly, it says, because uh, they are pleased with the Levites. Right, it says, to gather into them the portions required by law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the town, 
for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Right, so they, they, they like their priests. And so they give because a, a big portion of what they're giving goes to support the priests. And then we read it again in verse 47. Right, in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, they gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers right, that were set apart. Right, so the people are giving, a big portion of it is, is going to the, the priests. And you know, in today's age, I guess that, that's me and the staff. And they did it partly because it pleases God, partly because they like their pastors. Right, and they know this is how they support them. You know, money matters. And as an independent church, we'll talk about money you know, more frequently than we talked about it in your life. You know, it matters for two reasons. And one is just, it's just pragmatic. We need to pay the rent. Keep the lights going, you know, buy things. You know, we need to make things happen. In order for the church to survive in the modern world in Sydney, uh, we need people who are committed to give their possessions to God. Which is really giving back to God what he has given to me to steward in this life. Right? That's the biblical understanding of what we have. Everything I have is not mine, it's God's. I'm just taking care of it. And so a part of the way I take care of it is to use it for his kingdom as I give it as an offering to God. The pragmatic reality is that we need money to make things work to hire staff, right, to feed the staff, and to make all the ministries happen. The pragmatic reason is important if we want to keep meeting in a nice place with nice equipment. We can do church without it, but we would be not as effective missionally, I, I think, if we were meeting, you know, I don't know, on a patch of grass, and I was just shouting, because we weren't giving money. I don't think we would be good right, evangelistically. But the second reason, and this is important, money matters spiritually. Committing your possessions to God doesn't feel very spiritual, but it is. Right? The people are saying, I'll live where you want, God. That feels very spiritual. The people are praising God with their, with their mouths and singing and sacrificing. That feels very spiritual. But when we talk about giving your possessions to God, it doesn't feel very spiritual. It just feels like something we do, when in reality, this is very important. Right? The way you and I handle our finances and our possessions is a key indicator of our spiritual health. It is very, very spiritual how we handle our money. Right? Jesus talked a lot about money. And some people say Jesus talked, you know, out of everything, most about money. But I, I don't think that's true. I would say it's probably at least in the top five. Of the things that Jesus talked about while on earth, money was up there. Money is very important. Matthew chapter 6. Right? No one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right? And I've said this before. Jesus is going to put two things in front of you and say, well, you're probably going to serve one of these two, and it's either the Lord, and the other thing he says you might serve out of everything else in this world is money. And you're either going to submit to the master and master money, or get it the other way around, 
and money will master you, right? And Jesus will no longer be your master. Right? Money is very important. Paul says to Timothy, the love of all. We need to go back. That's very important. The love of money, right? Not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money leads to many evils and it might lead you away from the church to discard your faith. But that's how important money is. And so it is a very spiritual thing for us to commit our possessions to God. That sounds you know, kind of self-serving because a moment ago, I said that you know, our offerings you know, pay you know, the, the, the staff fees, etc., etc. But the, the more we give doesn't mean my, my wage is just going to keep skyrocketing and increasing. right? It's, it's just going to stay. It just means we have more money to do God's work. But it's also very important for you as a Christian who's trying to grow in obedience to Christ and surrender your whole life to Him that your finances would also be surrendered to Him. But I say this because I genuinely care about this area of your life for your benefit. It is very important. Our ability to master money and give it to God in some form or way reflects our trust in Him. It reflects our surrender to Him in our whole lives, including money. It reflects us seeking God's kingdom first. It reflects our generosity and many other things. It's not as simple as putting a number on it or a percentage, right? I'm not doing that. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. That's a good benchmark for us to, you know, kind of consider. Uh, in the new covenant in Christ, I believe 10% is not a hard line. But it is a good benchmark. But it's not law. And you, what I want to encourage us here is just to gauge where you are at and maybe bump it up. Right? Closer to 10%. A step closer, right, if you're not there. If you're at 10% and you're very comfortable with it, maybe you can you know, bump it up even more. Right? 10%, again, is, is just a line. If you're at 0%, push it up to 1%, 2%. Make, make, make it a habit to give $50 a week, $20 a week. Right? Just, just exercise that muscle that has not been used until you know, whatever it is becomes normal. And when you're comfortable with that, keep right, stretching that spiritual muscle. That's what I want to encourage us because it is a spiritual matter. And so, as we conclude, as the people of God enter into this next phase, finally gathering together as God's people in God's place, living out His purposes in His presence, they recommit in these three ways. They recommit themselves as a people. I'll do what you want me to do, God. My life is yours. I'm not going to just lay back now and say, I've done my work. They recommit themselves to him and I encourage us to do that they commit their praise to him in worship as they sing and thank him for every good thing that they see God you did this you made it happen they worship him through their praise but even through their praise they witness right and the people around them get to hear the boasting of God and then third they commit their possessions to him and I just want to encourage us as we launch we're starting. We're, we're, we're starting. We begin. We're not finished. 
I don't know someone, it feels like we just want to finish. But this is, the, this is the, what we've been waiting for. All of the effort and the toil was so we can get to two weeks' time and open the doors and begin right, to make disciples of other people. To see people saved. To see this room become more and more full. To see those friends who had left the church come into a safe space and be welcomed. Right? All of this is what we've been toiling for. We must commit to this next season for God. It's for God to do what he wants to do through Kingsway. As we close, we're not going into breakout rooms because obviously we're not on Zoom. But we're going to try something and we're going to try this this week, next week, and maybe we'll keep it if uh, it works. But we're going to go into communal prayer. Wait, is this COVID safe? All right. Wear your mask, maybe. Yeah, everything's just a recommendation, right? Okay, we're going to get into groups of three or four, right? And don't do it now, but let me just explain. So every week, if this, is, if this works, we're going to get into groups of three or four for five minutes, and we're going to just pray, right? And it can be anything, really. Maybe you just say hello, what's your name? Um, maybe if there's a newcomer there, you'll spend more time talking than praying. That's okay. But I think what's really important uh, it doesn't matter now or next week, but what's important once we launch is that members take the reins of this time. Right? You need to lead. And you need to, need to gauge the group. And so if there is a newcomer there, you can't say, let's go around in a circle and pray. Right? Because they're going to freak out and they'll never come back. Right? We need to gauge it. Right? If you've never met them, you can talk, get to know them and just say, look, let me quickly pray for us because we're going to run out of time. Right? But we just need to make sure they're comfortable, but at the same time, we do want to bring them a little bit out of their comfort zone so they're meeting people, right? sharing a little bit, that they're receiving prayer. Right? That's the purpose of this time. Right? If you're just with fellow members, you can do what you want. Right? You can all pray, right? but we need to lead this time. It's going to be short, maybe five minutes. Um, yeah, and we, we have to lead this. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend, should we do five minutes? Make groups of threes or fours. You can pray. Maybe you can share what's one thing that stuck out to you. Right? You can go around the circle. We're going to give it five minutes. I'll let you know when time is up.